Today we continue on in the book of 1 Corinthians, moving into 1 Corinthians chapter 2, which we've chosen to look at uh, from the bird's eye view, if you will, of the whole chapter. Um, so we're not breaking it down here according to the headings, but looking at the whole chapter. And Mark read that to you as our New Testament reading this morning, so I'll not reread it to you. But what I will do is go back and make sure that we have the flow of the argument. Again, remember, 1 Corinthians, like all of Paul's letters, are books, they're letters, they're arguments. He's making a case. So it's very important, and I encourage you to be reading 1 Corinthians as we go through it so that it's just soaking into you. So you don't end up taking the book and atomizing it, right? Or having it just chopped up into little bits. It's a danger. I've mentioned this before when we go through books. It's a danger of studying books this way, that we you can zoom in on a text and lose the, the forest, if you will, of the argument. And you want to keep that argument going. Paul is dealing with a people who are sliding down that slippery slope of worldliness. But it's a worldliness that is not just so simple as doing bad things. Okay, we, have, we all have to be careful of doing bad things. But Paul's, and he's going to get to some of the bad things they're doing. But Paul doesn't lead with the bad things they're doing, per se, but with the thinking. The thinking. What do you think you're doing? The way you think works itself out in your actions. You know what a man thinks by, uh, by what he does. You know what a woman believes by how she lives. And therefore, the, the thinking is the thing that, that sets the tone or, or provides the context or empowers the action. Again, probably we'll do it multiple times in this series, going back to Romans 12. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. But then he doesn't say, so don't do bad stuff. Don't smoke, drink, or chew, or go with girls who do like the world does. Okay? <laughs> but rather, rather, he says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed in the renewing of your mind. Now, Paul wants you to do good stuff. Paul wants you to live lives of obedience and holiness. Yes, he does. But notice he believes that comes by being transformed in the renewing of your mind. You cannot think like Romans. Romans, you have to think like Christians who live in Rome. Okay. Hey, Corinthians, you can't think like Greeks. You can't think like Corinthians. You have to think like Christians who live in Greece, Christians who live in Corinth. He's not telling you, don't have anything to do with Corinth. Don't have anything to do with Greece. No, he's not saying that. You live in Greece. You live in Corinth. You're going to do things like Corinthians do. You're going to shop at Corinthian grocery stores. You're going to wear Corinthian clothes. You're going to dress like Corinthians. That's why you live there. It's, it's a given. He's not telling us not to be Americans. He's just telling us to be Christians who live in America, not Americans who happen to be Christians. That is, what's the dominating thing? Okay. The Greeks pursue wisdom. 
Oh, the Greeks love to debate. They love to get in their forums. They love to work it out. They love to get this philosophical school against that philosophical school. Make your case. Let's wrestle with things. Oh, they love their, you know, their science. They love their investigations. They love their research. Books upon books we can read and debate and discuss great ideas. They love that. And that in and of itself is not a bad idea. It's not a bad thing to do. Oh, but that's their thing. That's what they do. And so the Corinthians, again, that's not bad as long as we view that as happening sort of on the penultimate level. But what the Corinthians are doing is now taking Christianity and throwing it into the debate. They're, they're, they're treating Christianity as another group to jump in the forum and argue about. They're treating Christianity the way a Greek would treat Christianity. Another idea of another teacher, another Plato, another Aristotle, this time just a Hebrew rabbi you know, named Jesus, and his ideas are in the mix. So Paul is challenging him on this. Paul, we, we looked at last week, Paul's strong confrontation about this. Hey, Corinthians, the Greeks seek wisdom, but I'm telling you something, the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of man. You're not dealing with the same kind of thing. When we deal with Christianity, we're dealing with a different species of argument. We're dealing with a different species of debate. It can't be, it, it, is, it is the truth in which all your lesser debates can happen. He says this to the Athenians in Greece. Hey, everyone, I just got to tell you, Paul says, it's in him that we live and move and have our being. It's in him that we are having the debates. He's not one of the things we're debating. It's in him that all your debates are happening. He, this, the thing we're declaring to you is a different species of truth, if you will. It's of a different order. It's true on another level. It is the presupposition of all truth. If it's not true, then all your debates are meaningless. That's a different order. That's the argument Paul's making. And so the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of man. And then he said, and, and consider you all, Corinthians, look at whom God has chosen. Don't try, and this is such a danger for us as Christians today, I and maybe not for, I, I really, I was thinking about this. I was thinking about this as we were singing a psalm this morning that had some lyrics in it that are just not, you know, they don't fit well with the modern evangelical sensitivities, let's put it that way. And as we're singing it, I thought, I love that we're singing this because we're singing something that, one, we're singing a psalm a cappella, which is not, normal in our culture, right? It's just not, I'll tell you what it's not doing. It's not pandering to the world saying, hey, we'll do these attractive things so you can come and, and maybe feel comfortable here. I hope it is beautiful. I'm, I'm very thankful for the harmonies. Tim, I'm very thankful that you consistently sing harmony and Richard singing harmony and, and, and I just, I'm so thankful for it. It makes it beautiful. So it is beautiful, but it's certainly not pandering to the world. It's not, it's not trying to convince the world we have music that I think you'll enjoy. Come check it out. Um, it's just, it's trying to be faithful. It's singing the word of God. And I love that. 
Because one of the dangers that the, the evangelical world as a whole has is that it, it can pander. It can pander. It can, can try to, it can try to convince the world that it's sophisticated. It can pander to them. And Paul says, don't do that. Don't you see he's chosen the foolish things? God is not interested in convincing the world that he's hip. He's not interested in convincing the world that he's, that he's sensible. He's not interested in convincing the world that he's not mean. God doesn't stay up at night thinking about our people calling him mean. God's not staying up at night wondering if the world thinks he's foolish. So don't you stay up at night worrying about these things. Just proclaim the truth. So that's what we looked at last week. Then, okay, so now he comes to the beginning of our text today in chapter 2. And notice he just kind of comes back and repeats what we talked about. Brethren, when I came to you, I did not come with excellence of speech because he just said, look at whom God has called. Do you? But he pointed them to himself, to themselves. Look at yourselves, everyone. You're not very impressive. Now, it's not a great thing to say if you're trying to, you know, keep a flock. <laughs> you have to, you have to, yeah, you have to sprinkle that in, in your preaching, okay? But Paul felt that the moment called for it here. You are not very impressive, people. <laughs> Look at yourselves. Where's the wise person? Where's the noble person? Where's the excellent person? We are the things that are not. He boils it down to, which we said is highly offensive. Anybody with a modicum of self-pride, you know, like we are, look, he has chosen the things that are not to shame the things that are. So in some sense, as a Christian, you have to come to grips with being a thing that is not. Listen, let's face it. You were made out of the dirt. You're made out of the dirt. Like you've got to come to grips with that. Let that cut your pride down. Now, you are dirt that has been given the image of God, and so you are the most glorious thing in creation. As little jars of clay, you, you contain an amazing treasure. God has placed his image in you and not in anything else in creation. That's an awesome thing. So when I say that we're dirt and we're made from the dirt, that's true, but we're also dirt that has been elevated to the highest heights and that he sent his son to die for. So you have been given tremendous, this value. But you have to remember, don't let that go to your head. Don't start letting it make you think better of Bill Spanger because Bill Spanger in and of himself is dirt. So Paul pointed that out to them. Now he turns it back on himself. And I, brethren, so you're not very impressive, but guess what? I'm not very impressive either. Either. And I, when I came to you, I did not come with excellence of speech and of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except this foolish message. Like, think about that. I came into these sophisticated Greeks, not trying to convince them that I have, hey, I'm up there. I can deal with Socrates and Plato and Aristotle. And let me give you my arguments. I just came declaring to you a Jewish rabbi crucified on a bloody Roman cross is the king of creation and every knee will bow before him and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And he has been raised from the dead so that by faith in him, you too may be raised from the dead and not just have the immortality of the soul as the Greeks believed everyone would have, but rather have resurrection from the dead where our bodies will come out of the grave. That's not just crazy talk to the modern mind. 
And somehow we think, well, back then they just believed bodies could come out of the grave. No, they did not. No one believed that. No one thought that could happen. They just believed your soul left the prison of the body and went to be you know, with the gods somehow. No one believed that our bodies are coming out of the grave. What Paul was talking was kooky talk. It's foolishness. But Paul says, that's what I came to you with. I didn't come to you with persuasive words. I just declared. That's why I chose 1 John as our, as our reading today because John just says, we declare, we declare. John's not, John's not trying to convince you. He's just saying, I'm declaring what has been revealed to me. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul will later say to the Corinthians, he gave me a thorn in my flesh. Whatever that means, I'm not sure what, none of us know what that, what, what God gave him. But, but God broke Paul so that even Paul might not think that the power is in Paul. Right, right? like Jacob, when Jacob wrestles with God and, and God touches his hip and, and pops it out and then gives him that limp. It's important for Jacob to walk with a limp for the rest of his life so that he remembers that the power is not in Jacob, but the power is in God. And you all walk with limps. We all walk with limps in here. I hear them every Sunday in our prayer requests. And that's not a, I'm not, that's not a, a put down. That's, a, that's, a, that's, that's an important thing. We walk with limp. We all confess. We have thorns in our flesh. Why? So that we remember and so that the world sees through me and through you that the power is not us, but the power is God. And Paul's not ashamed of this. Hey, you're not very impressive, but guess what? I'm not very impressive either. I came to you in weakness, in fear. That's an amazing thing to say. We think of Paul as just this courageous guy. He's in fear. And with much trembling. He was afraid maybe even to preach this message. It's crazy to just walk into Corinth. It's like, again, going down into lower Manhattan or going to the docks or going to, and just calling people to repent of their sins in a city filled with sexual sin and with all kinds of idolatries and just call them out and call them to repent. Wow, even Paul was trembling. That's encouraging to me. The power was not in Paul. The power was in what Paul preached. And Paul preached, as we said, a simple message. And we referenced this last week, but really just want to drive it home. It's, it's the line from which I drew the title of the sermon, Christ and Him Crucified. Because Paul says in verse 2, I determined, I just like the way that New King James says this, I determined to know nothing among you. Think about that. Just take away know nothing in a culture which values knowing lots of stuff, okay? A culture that you come with gobs of wisdom. That's how you get into the forum. That's how you get into the debate because you have lots of stuff to be able to share and questions to ask and wrestle through. And Paul says, I was willing to come knowing nothing. What do you bring to the table, Paul? I bring nothing. Oh, but I do have this. One thing. One thing I have, 
one thing I lay on the one trump card, if you will, that I lay down. I endeavored, I determined not to know anything among you, to happily embrace my ignorance and my foolishness. Think about that, that the, how much work that must have taken to, to his pride. Paul's an educated man. Paul was a great student. Paul was a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was a student of Gamaliel. Like, he read this great stuff. He knew, he knew, he knew the philosophies of the age. He was a learned man, yet he was happy to be God's fool. Not goofball fool. But I was happy not to be impressive. So that, in the, in the, in the sort of blank, dull canvas of my knowledge, the beautiful portrait of Christ could be displayed. We don't want the frame, if you will, to distract from the picture. We don't want the medium to distract from the thing that's being presented. And Paul was happy to be nothing so that Christ could be what the Corinthians saw. Because Paul knew, there's the power. This is, so, I just, I, I wrestle with this because again, if I'm gonna come talk to people about the gospel, I feel like I need some credibility with them. Like they need to respect me. They need to know, okay, the guy's got an intellect. Okay, hey, I can take this guy. And, and, and it's not that we have to act like morons because Paul clearly did not do that. But Paul was not going to allow any of that to shave the, the hard, sharp edges off the message that was being proclaimed or the embarrassing parts of this or the parts that don't make sense to your quote-unquote wise intellect. He was just happy to proclaim it. I determined to know nothing before you except Christ and Him crucified. You need to see that. So, so I love that. Paul, Paul brings it, he reminds the Corinthians, if you are looking for quote-unquote wisdom, if you are looking for sophistication, if you are looking for the popular, if you are looking for the impressive, then Christianity is not your game. Then go back and find your traveling professor, your Socrates, your Plato, your Aristotle, as wise as they are and as good as they are. I love them and I study them. They're wonderful. There's a lot of small W wisdom there. So go have that then. That's not what I'm bringing. And the Corinthian church had to decide, will you be conformed to the pattern of this world or will you be transformed by the renewing of your mind? So I didn't come with wisdom. But then notice in verse six, however, we speak wisdom. The very thing I said we don't have because we come with foolishness. Nonetheless, we do have wisdom. And here Paul is now, though, though it's not a capital W in the text, I'm using that language because Paul, of course, is playing on words here. I came with foolishness, but of course we did have wisdom. But he's talking now about the wisdom of wisdom, the true wisdom, the wisdom of Proverbs chapter 8. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing, the rulers of this age with all their quote-unquote wisdom have come to nothing. 
the great teachers who have gone before. As again, I don't talk them down. I was just at a conference. I mean, teachings of Aristotle and Plato are, are referenced multiple times in this conference. I mean, we love Aristotle, we love Plato for their philosophy, but they're dead. They're dead. What did it come to for them? Only one is raised from the dead and therefore can give life. So Aristotle, yes, he helps us understand science. He helps us understand the world. He gets us to ask good questions. Tons of small w wisdom, really important stuff. Really good stuff. It's just not the best stuff. And when the good stuff is treated as if it's the best stuff, it actually becomes bad stuff. Because you're asking it to, you're asking Aristotle to do something Aristotle cannot do. And then you break Aristotle and you break yourself and you break everything. Only one wisdom is meant to be there. But we speak, verse 7, the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. There's the Lord of glory, wisdom incarnate. And they killed him. They killed him. Therefore, you know they did not have the wisdom. For if they had the wisdom, if they had the lenses by which they could even identify wisdom, then when wisdom in the flesh... The Word in the flesh, Jesus Christ, incarnate wisdom, came among them. They would have embraced him, not crucified him, but they didn't like it. They didn't want it. But that's the wisdom we bring. And it's a mystery, and it's been hidden. But here's the good news, and this is what Paul's really driving at. But hey, Corinthians, it's been revealed. The, the capital W wisdom, which none of us have access to, we just look at it, from, it's like it's like when it's like when you're looking at if 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 any of women you know or maybe men nothing against you men do like needlework cross stitch. You know my aunt Dee Dee, my grandmother's who's 107. She's right there. She's she's 106. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe she's 106. Um, who's counting it? I guess I guess you, who's counting when you're in your 80s and 90s? But then you hit the 100s, you start counting again. It's a badge of honor. Um, but my aunt Didi, who was her sister, who died at 106, um, did needlepoint. She was known in the family for doing amazing, amazing needlepoint. And what her pride was is that when you flip it over and look at the back, it still looks good. Because if you've ever seen needlepoint, especially maybe novices, right, the, the front part looks good because you follow a pattern and so forth. But underneath, there's... Now, hers wasn't perfect on the back, but she loved the fact that her back was as neat as it could be. But if you look at the back of needlepoint, it doesn't look great. And that's where, that's where the wisdom of man does. It looks at the, the beautiful wisdom of God, which is the top part of the needlepoint, but we're all looking from underneath, and we're like, well, that doesn't look great. That, that looks foolish. That's all, that's all our wisdom can do is get us there where we look and go, this looks silly. That you're telling me this is great needlepoint? Come on. Aristotle's better than that. Epicurus is better than that. Come on. Yeah, because that's the wisdom of man can only get you there. It's been hidden. But here's the good news. Corinthians, Paul's saying, is it's been revealed to us in Christ. Christ is the revelation. 
of the wisdom of God. That's what John's saying. Therefore, we declare this to you. It's not something we climbed up and found. You can't get to the top of the needlepoint. But it's been revealed to us. Verse 9, as it's written, eye has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. You can't get there. But God, the great phrase of the New Testament, but God. So Paul loves to do that. Here's your inability, but God. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, Yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of a man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. What, what Paul's saying here is, you, you're looking at me, you don't know. I, I'm looking at you, let's put it that way. I'm looking at you, I have no idea what you're thinking right now. Some of you are thinking, man, he's going long today. Some of you are thinking, I'm, I'm looking forward to lunch. Some of your minds are stuck back on needlepoint. You're remembering Aunt Susie who used to do needlepoint. You're like... Yeah, that was really, yeah, I remember her needlepoint. You know, and you've lost me. You know, so some of you are tracking right with me, right? It's, I don't know what you're thinking. Who knows the thoughts of a man but the spirit of the man? You don't know what each other's thinking. You wouldn't know what I'm thinking except that I'm, the spirit of this man is revealing it to you. I'm telling you what I'm thinking. And I'm, don't, Get me wrong, I'm thinking, man, I'm going long today. Okay, so I'm thinking, <laughs> all right, so I'm having, I got different things going on in my head as well. I'm remembering Aunt Dee with her needle points. So I'm doing the same thing. But I'm revealing to you at least some of what I believe because you wouldn't know. I don't know what you believe until the spirit of the man, your spirit, tells me. Other than that, our thoughts are pretty much locked inside us. You can get a little bit from my facial experience. Maybe he's sad, maybe he's, and that's what Paul's saying. And the same is true with God. You can't climb into, you can't climb and do a lot of study to get to what is in Bill Spanger's mind right now. You cannot do it. You are not going to know it until the only one who knows what's in this man is the spirit of this man. And when the spirit of this man reveals to you what's in me, then you will know me. You will know what I'm thinking. And Paul says the same is true of God. I'm sorry, Aristotle can't climb his way there. Plato and Socrates can't grapple their way up the mountain and get to the thoughts of God. You don't get to the top of the, uh, of the embroidery or the, uh, the cross stitch. It's not going to happen. The only one who knows the things of God is the Spirit of God. But Paul is saying, but here's the good news, brothers. The Spirit of God has revealed this to us, and he's going to end this passage with just the most amazing statement. It's just so unbelievable and humbling. But Okay, so accept the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Just like I'm telling you what I'm thinking right now. God has done this for us. God, whose thoughts, whose ways are utterly inaccessible to us, the shocking thing, the thing that should humble us is that this God has chosen to speak. This God has chosen to give us his word and we're studying it right now. And he sent his son as the word incarnate. God has spoken and revealed his spirit to us that we might know the things of God. Verse 13, these things we also speak in words. So now, I'm speaking to you, and you're not just getting now 
the thoughts of the spirit of Bill Spanger, but believe it or not, you're getting the thoughts of the spirit of God as well. I am spe- because I have the spirit of God. I am speaking to you the spirit of God. I'm speaking to you in the power of the spirit and I'm speaking to you of the heart and the mind of God. Not, I, I, I'm not an apostle. Mine's, are, mine's imperfect. You need to put mine to the test and say, was that really the spirit or was that just something Bill worked up in his head? That's a fair question. You need to study because you have the spirit. That's the good news. You, you can therefore test the spirit. And you could say, what Bill said didn't ring true to me today as I study the word of God. That's a fair point. Or it did ring true. Because you have the spirit as well. It's not, I'm, I'm not the sole distributor here. These things we speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Even there, right? You're comparing spiritual to spiritual as you, as you question maybe me and my teaching. If it doesn't resonate with the spirit of God in you, we've all sat through a sermon and it's like, I don't know if that's true. That doesn't ring true to me. And you put it to the test, comparing spiritual things with spiritual But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit. Therefore, if you don't have the Spirit of God, and I'm not saying if you don't, you do. But, you know, if I'm speaking there's a non-believer, then what I'm saying just bounces off deaf ears. I'm saying I'm holding up a picture of embroidery and of of, of cross-stitch, and I'm going, now, let's look at this beautiful text. Let's look at this amazing work of cross-stitch that God has done. We hold up 1 Corinthians 2. But if you're not a believer, you're not sitting on this side of it. You're sitting on that side of it. And I'm holding it up going, now look at this beautiful embroidery. Look at this beautiful cross stitch. And the non-believer sitting back here looking at the back of it going, I don't know what you're talking about. It doesn't, it doesn't look that beautiful to me. And, I, and apart from them receiving the Spirit of God, which is not something I can give, no matter how great my arguments are, no matter how sophisticated I am, no matter how winsome I am, no matter how attractive I make myself, no matter how, you know, how, I, how appealing I become to them, I can't make them see the beauty of the cross-stitch. That's something that they need the Spirit of God to see. Now listen, we're going to come to the climax here, right here at the end, which Paul says, so they can't see this. This is foolishness. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit, for they are foolishness in him. They're only seeing the back of the crustage. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual, i.e. you, brothers and sisters, judges all things. Yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. Think about that. Just, I just encourage you to contemplate that today. He who is spiritual is judged by no one. Caesar doesn't get to come and condemn us, okay? I will not, you, you, you will not judge because you do not have the Spirit. And then here, verse 16. For, quote, who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? You, you don't have the mind of God. But notice, but, here, just look, go back and look at this text and look at all the buts or the howevers. But he ends with this but we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. Think about that. You have the mind of Christ. Christ is, he just said this in the last text uh, in chapter one, Christ has become our wisdom. You have the mind of Christ. 
You dwell in the light, 1 John 1. Not in darkness. You're not groping, trying to figure it out. I know certain things don't make sense to us. Certain things we don't understand, that's okay. But you see the cross stitch. You see Christ. You see the truth. He now becomes the glasses that you wear that put all things into focus. I can think of the world rightly. I can read the Bible and understand it. I can discern and work this out now because I have the Spirit of God which searches out the mind of God. It'd be like having Bill Spanger's spirit so that you just know me. What would that even mean? But if, if you had Bill Spanger's spirit, it would be like you'd be in my thoughts. You wouldn't be trying to figure them out by my facial expressions. You just have them. You would understand me at such a deep level. A level that no human, not even Christina, knows. Christina knows me better than anybody, but she doesn't have my spirit. There's still time she scratches her head and goes, man, I can't figure this guy out. But you have the Spirit of God dwelling in you. And as such, you have the mind of Christ. just want to encourage you to savor that and to reflect on it. Wrestle with what does that mean to have the mind, the wisdom, the light of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have revealed your hidden, mysterious wisdom and will to us. We could never climb up that mountain. We could never turn the cross stitch around out of our own. We just can't make the first move. We're paralyzed by our sin. We're blinded. We're blind men who cannot even see the cross stitch. But Lord, you have revealed it to us. You have opened our eyes. You have allowed us to behold. You have given us your spirit and poured him into us. You've given us the mind of Christ that we may discern. And so empower us today to study. Empower us to relook at the world and recognize the glasses we wear that help us bring things into focus because we can often be conformed to the pattern of this world and feel helpless. Things don't make sense to us. We can't discern the times. And yet you have given us wisdom. So strengthen us in that, Father. Abide with us in our weakness and help us to know nothing and to be fine with it except Christ and Him crucified, indeed raised from the dead, and ascended to your right hand, from which he will one day come again in glory to judge the earth. We rejoice in that hope. In Christ's name, amen.